Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Now that the fall weather has arrived, Mostly, it's the perfect time to get out there and to take a hike. Immersing oneself in nature and taking time to be with your thoughts, it's a good thing. You can take a light walk through the woods or take a more, on a more challenging trail. There might even be a waterfall at the end if you do. Whether, whatever you decide, Middle Tennessee offers some great hiking. And later this hour, we'll talk to some expert hikers about where to go, how to be safe, and what to bring with you. Ah, I can feel the serenity from here. But first, earlier this week, the Metro Council delayed a request to rezone a vacant apartment complex that's being demolished in East Nashville for the sixth time. Now, that might sound like run-of-the-mill neighborhood dispute, but it's shaping up to be one of the most interesting political battles in the city. The fight over what to do with the River Chase apartment complex raises a ton of big-picture questions, like... Who's going to benefit from living in housing that's so close to Nashville's East Bank? What's going to happen to the people who used to live there? And who gets to decide all of this? WPLN's Ambriel Crutchfield has been reporting on River Chase for the past year. The three-part series she published this summer called Displaced laid out the challenges facing its low-income residents and how politics have come into play. And since then, it's only gotten more complicated. She's here now to talk about all of that. Ambriel. Welcome back to This is Nashville. Thanks for being here. Yeah, for sure. So first of all, set the table. Where is River Chase and why is it so important? Right. So if you've ever sat in traffic on I-24 next to downtown, you've seen like the River Chase apartments are to your right. They were red, yellow, and green buildings. Um, and if you were looking to your left, you would see like Top Golf. This area is really important because it's being developed quite a bit, like all the way from the Cumberland River, where the city is thinking about doing um, a new downtown neighborhood, and also the Titan Stadium, like what to do with that, building a dome or not. Um, so that all kind of flows into this area right where uh, River Chase is. It's just the interstates uh, connect or separating them. Okay. Cypress Real Estate Advisors, which is a developer out of Texas, came in offering to set aside some, let's call them affordable units. And that's included one specifically for River Chase residents. So why isn't this a slam dunk? Right. So I always like to reiterate that affordable just means 30% of um, your income towards housing costs. So when we're looking at the breakdowns of what, what residents need to earn to get into Korea's 1200, around 1200 units, only 20 are set aside for people earning less than 30K. Um, and that depends on their family size, of course. But now there's a there's also a tentative plan for a nonprofit to build at least 120 units more because they can get government funding to kind of help offset the cost uh, so they can have lower rents. Overall, like having a mix of incomes is good for the city because uh, when we have people that are earning low incomes having to rent up, then it kind of creates this bottleneck of like what we're all trying to get to supply wise. So but it also raises questions. I mean, River Chase Apartments was 212 households. Um, and so some of them use housing vouchers. Some of them just paid out of pocket. But the rent was way less than, you know, the na- the city's average. And so the n- new development wouldn't allow space for quite a few of them to come back uh, potentially. And also like 
the unit sizes that are going to be available aren't really open to people that have larger families. All right. Just a note for listeners. Cypress Real Estate Advisors is often referred to as CREA. So just keep that in mind as we go along with this conversation. Now, there's two organizations that have been heavily involved in this project. Stand Up Nashville, that's been focused on how River Chase fits into larger city problems, and PATH, that's gotten money from developers to move residents out. What were the two groups' opinions during this public hearing this week? Right. So PATH was in support of the rezoning, and they were urging city council members to move forward. Um, While Stand Up Nashville continues to be against it, um, you know, Stand Up Nashville was negotiating with the developer to have a community benefits agreement, which is this contract of, like, making sure the developer meets community needs. But that fell through um, because, you know, they weren't able to get maybe all of what they wanted. Korea kind of stood the line at a certain point. Uh, So Korea actually ended up doing a community benefits agreement with the Urban League, which is a different party that kind of entered way later. Um, so, yeah, former River Chase residents also spoke. They were mostly against it and they were concerned about the unit sizes not being big enough and just more so talking about the larger housing crisis that we have and how this displaces them and makes them have to find temporary housing in the meantime. Another of Crea's promises was that they would help River Chase residents find new housing mm-hmm. while the complex was being replaced. How well have they kept that promise? Yeah, so this week I spoke to two residents that I was just kind of meeting um, because I've heard people say that a lot of people have been displaced um, into temporary housing. So think like living with a friend or at a hotel. Um, One of the residents I spoke to, both of them didn't want to be interviewed. But the first one said she's living in a hotel. She's waiting to get an apartment and Korea has been very helpful. The other was a non-native English speaker um, and they're living with a family member hoping to get into a place. They weren't aware of some of the financial benefits that were available to them. So they only got their security deposit back. Wow. Now the neighborhood around River Chase is called McFerrin Park. What are folks there saying? Yeah. So they're mostly in support of the project. Uh, They just wanted the height to be reduced. Um, Korea originally proposed 10. So they're reducing it to seven. They've already agreed to do that. And then um, they also are, I was talking to the president of the organization and she said housing for River Chase residents like did bubble up into the conversation, but it wasn't like top number one priority. Now, what happens if the developer and Metro Council can't come to an agreement? Yeah, so I actually just spoke with Korea not too long before going on air. Um, So the developer is going to keep going with the city process with the council. So they're going to be on third reading when they meet in November. Um, If the council votes to approve it, yay, they're going to build those affordable housing units. If not, then they're going to go with plan B, which is to just build townhomes without subsidies. So um, and they're already allowed to do that with the current zoning rules of Mm -hmm. how they can use the land. Now, you're... You're WPLN's expert on this. Tell me, why do you think this dispute dispute has been so hard to resolve? I mean, there's really so many power dynamics going on at play. I mean, like just kind of starting at the top level is that our state doesn't it really favors property owners and developers over, um, you know, individual people and community benefits type things. So it makes it really hard for how much the city itself can toe a certain line in favor of residents. Um, We also have different power dynamics when it comes to the organizations at play, like, you know, the stronger political connections you have, the larger outside voice, outside voice you have. Um, And at the end of the day, the developer does have a bottom line. So um, they have to, you know, make sure that they're working with the bank and et cetera. Now, is there any chance of the CBA or the community benefits agreement you mentioned earlier being back on the table? 
So the community benefits agreement with the Urban League is contingent upon um, Korea getting that rezoning. So mm-hmm. if they don't get the rezoning, then they're going to just build, you know, rates that rents that are the average of the Nashville's rents. All right. So what angles are you interested in exploring next as a reporter as this story continues? Yeah, I mean, I'm always interested in systems reporting. Like, what is this all telling us about who has power and who doesn't? So, um, you know, some of the things that residents have brought up about is about the decreasing amount of like larger size uh, rental units. And so that's intriguing to me because not everyone has the same family size and we already have this housing crisis, but also like how banks interfere with developers being able to offer housing at lower cost. I think the thing that really sticks into my mind when I'm reporting on this is just like everyone doesn't have flexibility and it's very challenging, you know, just trying to survive and like navigate these systems. And we're thinking about residents who were told, yeah, they had a heads up that their place, their home was going to be demolished. But that's a very quick timeline, especially just coming off the pandemic mm-hmm. and we're in a tight housing market. So I'm really thinking about how this is going to be rippling into their lives and changing how they flow in their everyday life. That is WPLN's Ambrielle Crutchfield. She's been reporting on the River Chase apartments for the past year. Ambrielle, thanks for coming on and thank you for your excellent reporting. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll head out on the trail and meet some avid local hikers. Are you a hiker? What is your favorite trail? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Crisp air, rocks and twigs crunching underfoot, pathways snaking through lush landscapes. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's right. Today's show is all about hiking here in Middle Tennessee. And you just know we had to get out of the studio for a bit. Our producer, Rose Gilbert, and intern, Tori Hoover, spent some time enjoying the beautiful fall weather at the Randor Lake State Park and met a few friends, Rander Lake State Park, and they met a few friends along the way. That sound you know follows here now when you hear those leaves (laughs) crunch. Do you have a moment to talk? Uh, Sure. What's your name? Uh, Saba. Saba, nice to meet you. Hello, what's your name? And this is Mishka. (laughs) What kind of dog is Mishka? Uh, She's a husky probably mix. (laughs) And uh, what brings you out here today? Uh, We're just here to spend some family time together, walk around. All right, so we were were hiking through the woods and now we're crossing over a bridge um, that goes right over the dam that has created Rodner Lake. How steady do you think this is? Pretty. (laughs) We're going to check it by jumping on it. Oh, what's this plaque? Netherton Overlook, dedicated August 26, 1999. So I was like six months. Oh. (laughs) For the protection of Radnor Lake, Nashville's Walden. A lake is the landscape's most beautiful and expressive feature. It is the Earth's eye, looking into which the beholder measures the depth of his own nature. Henry David Thoreau. Here you go. You want to do this way? Bye, James. Bye. 
What's your name? Madeline. Madeline, nice to meet you. What are you working on? I am painting this beautiful lake scene right in front of me. So tell me a little bit, what do you see when you're when you're looking at this lake and you're you're painting it? Um well I think the thing that I notice the most is like the glistering water um, paired with um, all of the colors of the trees. I don't know, I think it, it's just, it's such a beautiful spot and we we're just walking over here and we we're trying to find a place just like this and we happen to find it. Hi, I'm Kayla. I just needed to get outside. I, I, the pandemic has been really hard for a lot of people keeping us indoors. It, it's almost like you forget that Every morning we wake up and we take a breath, a deep breath, and then you start your day. And you kind of forget when you're locked inside that nature breathes too. It, it really does. The the sea of leaves, because the way they shift is like waves, and, and they kind of create this misting sound when they are, you know, floating in the wind. And it, nature is just... It's a lot like us, and it's a good way to get out and ground yourself again. She's right. Grounding yourself is so important. My next guests help people find the perfect places to hike and explore. John Michael Cassidy is the director of the Shelby Bottoms Nature Center, and Sophia Wang is a former Will Skills Outdoors Experience instructor. John Michael, Sophia, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hello. Thanks for having us. Now, you know, people may think that because Nashville is a city, there's not a lot of opportunity for hiking here. John Michael, what do you say to that? We have a number of protected spaces, including Radnor, as you mentioned, uh, a number of paved paths uh, throughout the city, blue ways, green ways, uh, and a, a good amount of park space within the county as well. Now, you're the director of Shelby Bottoms right here in East Nashville. What... What are some of the features of your location? Sure. We're riverine habitat, so predominantly floodplain within Shelby Bottoms. Shelby Park, the historic side, what we would call the ball side. Um, we have a large railroad trestle that splits us. Uh, Shelby Bottoms is quite flat. It has over six miles of paved paths and over five miles of natural paths. Um, a great time to explore the natural paths right now because it's quite dry. Um, come two months... Uh, it could be quite wet, and the beavers could be quite active in, in trying to dam up um, what they do. Beavers? Correct, yeah. So we were hiking on the Ecology Trail yesterday, which is within the Nature Center's uh, one-mile loop, so quite close. Uh, the water levels are really low. Uh, the dam's exposed. Their their lodge is, is very visible, and their all their network is uh, is quite visible, including they were quite active. They were chewing up some, um, some elm and sweet gums, which uh, people have been asking, have they sought refuge? Since there's low water, mm. um, they're still there and they're connected to the river and they'll be back. So so what does Shelby Bottoms have to offer that sets it apart from other local parks? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Shelby Park or, and Shelby Bottoms and, and the rest of some of the natural areas and nature centers. Uh, Shelby Bottoms is quite close to the city. It's three miles from downtown Nashville, so we're quite close. I know you guys want to talk about potentially um, public transit in regards to uh, different natural areas and nature centers. Uh, but we're fairly close. We're three miles upstream from downtown Nashville. Uh, we're on the Music City Bikeway, so you can bike there as well. Mm. Um, but it offers a, a space and a place for wildlife, uh, people, and a, a natural refuge. Now, Sophia, you're an avid hiker, and you worked as a hiking instructor. Yeah, that's right. What did you enjoy most about hiking? 
What do you enjoy most about it? That's a big question and one that I've thought about a lot because I spend a lot of my time doing it. Um, I think the best thing about hiking is that it can really remind you how simple life can be. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for you to get away from all the hustle and bustle of the city. Mm. You know, as when I was a student, there's deadlines and things going on and all this mess in your head. But when you go out there, you realize the world can be so quiet and you can find peace within yourself and you just see these beautiful things surrounded by life. You know, it's, it's the best getaway that you can find. I understand you grew up in New Zealand, right? Yes, I did. Tell me about hiking culture there. Well, uh, I think a lot of people know New Zealand as kind of like a pretty pretty awesome destination to go, especially for everyone who loves outdoors, and I would endorse it so strongly. Um, I would say that the hiking culture there is a lot more integral um, in the sense that, you know, if you go through high school, they there are so many opportunities and ingrained things for you to go, go out and explore. And um, there are day hike trails everywhere. You know, you're so close to the mountains, so close to the beaches. It's just a beautiful landscape. My, nep- my nephew lives there and yeah. he talks about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible. Anyone, I've talked to a lot of people who have been there um, and they can't say good enough things about it. Okay, so maybe Nashville can't quite live up to that. <laughs> but what are, what are your some of your favorite spots here? Yeah, no, I was very, very pleasantly surprised by Nashville when I came here and there's actually a ton of outdoor things to do. Um, some of my favorite things, if you're thinking more locally, like in Nashville, I really love going to Percy Warner in particular. I've been to Radnor Lake and the Narrows of the Harpeth as well, and those are all great areas. Um, but I, I love Percy Warner. You know, there's a big um, trail running scene there. People go there on weekends. They bring their dogs. It's it's um, an awesome t- way to spend your weekend and get a breath of fresh air. What's the special thing about Percy Warner that you really love that you just can't? You have to do all yeah. the time. I think I think I've just been there so often that it feels familiar and. Um, you know, it's a good amount of challenge and, and leisurely walk. You know, there are uphills, downhills. There's a little bit of everything that you need. Um, and and the nature there is beautiful no matter what time of year. Um, it's comfortable. The trail is well warm, but not so much that it feels um, like you're in, you're in an urbanized area or anything like that. Now, John Michael, what about you? What are some of your favorite places to go in town? Sure. Sophia and I were both talking about Warner as well. Beeman is uh, quite nice. It's on the Western Holland Rim. So geographically speaking, Nashville sits kind of in a bowl or a basin. And um, the Highland Rim is just north and west uh, in Davidson County. Uh, Beeman has uh, a new backcountry portion of trails. It has a 12-mile loop. Uh, and it also has some trails that are a bit closer to the nature center. Great mature forested area. It's quite nice when it's hot um, to get out of the, the sun. Um, and then there's other places like Bell's Bend uh, that are great for birding. We were talking before about hiking or walking as a means to other um, enjoyment, whether it's bird watching or uh, enjoyment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a, a champion tree or something or a type of vista or a view. Um, so... Hiking is a simple method um, to do that. Where do you recommend I go if I want to get out of Nashville, out of the city limits, deeper into Davidson County or maybe some of the neighboring counties? Sure. Um, Beeman, if you were within Davidson County, is is by far probably the most um, wilderness setting. Um, there's a, um, a loop trail that's 12 miles, and there's two um, six-mile segments within that, uh, and it's quite protected. Uh, a large percentage is a designated state natural area as well. Um, but within the region, I'm sure some of the other speakers will speak on Mammoth Cave, South Cumberland. Um, the Smokies aren't too far, but within Davidson County, 
um, I would definitely recommend Beeman Park. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lekalona. We're talking this hour about hiking in Middle Tennessee. My guests are John Michael Cassidy and Sophia Wang. So, you know, John Michael, what makes our area really unique for hiking? Good. We were talking, Sophia and I, she is a uh, geology background and um, I have a background in geology, environmental education. Um, we talked a little bit about Central Basin and the Highland Rim. Um, Tennessee is uh, has an abundance of limestone, the most of any state, the highest number of caves. Um, depending on where you're at within our region, uh, there's some distinct ecoregions and habitats. We have a lot of water in Davidson County, Cumberland River, Mill Creek, White's Creek, Harpeth. Uh, so a pretty large watershed uh, and two lakes with that, too. So we have a lot of uh, blue rays and greenways mm. um, and abundance of wildlife with that. And in some specific areas that are quite unique, like the hill forest at Warner, uh, Radnor Lake State Natural Area. Uh, and in, particularly in the, the west or sorry, the eastern portions, uh, there's a number of cedar glades that have endemic species that are found, you know, sometimes not outside of that cedar glade or that specific area or county. Now, Sophia, you recently graduated from Vanderbilt with a degree in geology, Mm -hmm. as John Michael said. You know, what did you learn about our natural environment here that makes it special? Yeah, well, Nashville is actually a really cool area. So um, Tennessee is mostly sedimentary rock, if people are familiar with that. Um, And what's what's really interesting is that like thousands and thousands of years ago, Tennessee was actually all completely submerged underwater. Mm. Um, And then as, as things changed, it rose up, you know, civilization came. But when you walk around here, if you go to places like um, Fort Negley, you can go look at the the rocks there, and it's a lot of limestone, and you can actually find these like little fossils and shells there if you just go and dig around. Um, and it's awesome seeing like the past of it. And again, we're talking about waterfalls and stuff. You know, um, limestone is a very soluble rock, um, and so we get these awesome waterfalls. And there's some sections of the geology that are less soluble, and they create these big cliffs, and that's why you have so many awesome. You know, there are tons of state parks with waterfalls and. They're all around, and it really makes for beautiful landscapes. What are what are some of those state parks with the waterfalls? Just in right. case I want to go on a hike <laughs> and be, you know, watch some breathtaking beauty. Sure, sure. Well, um, like like one that I go to really often is, is Foster Falls, kind of by Chattanooga. Um, if people can make it out there, it's really awesome. It's got awesome falls to go swimming in. Um, there's there's a lot of climbing there. There's a lot of hiking there. Close there's like Fall Creek Falls, you know, Cummings Falls, all of those. Well, there's a ton of things around if you just have a look. What about like someone who's either born and raised in Nashville mm-hmm. or been here for a long time and they haven't really taken much time to get out to hike? How does hiking in a place really change your understanding of it? Right. Um, I think I think what's really nice is that Nashville is quite a big city and there's a lot of things going on here. Um, but the opportunity to be able to kind of explore the earth and the nature around you, it can remind you that you're like kind of a part of everything here, you know, the earth is all one. Um, and that you can go out and see kind of the beauty of your own state and the beauty of um, where you grew up and develop a lot of pride around that as well and see what everything has to offer outside these big buildings and skyscrapers that we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot recently. Yeah, to release yourself from the city hustle. Exactly. Now, you mentioned beavers already, John Michael. <laughs> what other wildlife can we see when we're hiking in Middle Tennessee? Sure, we talked about birds. Uh, bird watching is pri- quite popular. Um, also, one of the easiest things to see um, for people that aren't into nature or don't experience nature much. Uh, one of the easiest animals to see is often a bird. Um, 
there's certain places that are quite well known for amphibians and reptiles at Beeman. Um, speaking of beavers, there's a lot of beavers in bottomland areas or, or near rivers. Um, you can often see them at Shelby near dusk or at night because they're mostly nocturnal. Um, they have been spotted at other times. Uh, the bird watching is is in really good. I know you guys um, talked about Radnor as well, quite mm -hmm. accessible. They had a um, a pair of bald eagles that nested um, along some of their waterways. Uh, we have an osprey nest just behind our nature center along the Cumberland. One of my favorite birds of prey, by the way, Me the too. osprey. Okay, if we're talking um, choice, osprey over mm -hmm. bald eagles. Yep. They're a little more active. Uh, you know, the comparison would be the lion to the cheetah. Yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. I'm a cheetah person, but I've, I've, I mess with lions as well. So tell me, you know, have you had any memorable encounters while you were out there in the woods? A beaver slap in the in the middle of the night or on a river that, you know, you've you're a little late uh, to get to your takeout um, is always a startling experience. And um, walking up on beavers, being at Shelby, um, we're often in the park. Um, we lead you know, guided hikes. Um, that would be uh, one instance kind of playing off Sophia, like having a feel for the outside space, um, taking your time, taking it in, seeing a bird that you've never seen or just something up close, uh, a special hummingbird or uh, just the daily American red cardinal, now the you, northern cardinal. You said the beaver slap. The beaver slapping the water is a loud noise? Correct. So uh, beavers use that as a defense mechanism. Okay. So they swim, we'll say, on the top of the water. Uh, and when they sense danger, they'll slap their tail, um, splash, make a sound, gotcha. and, then, and dive. Okay. Um, so often you'll hear the slap and not see them because it's quite dark. Wow. Um, so that that would be one experience. That's fun. That's fun. Sophia, how about you? What are your wildest? What's the most memorable moment in the trail? Yeah, I think uh, I don't know if this necessarily counts as a trail, but I was going along um, the Hiawassee River. Mm. Um, I was actually in a canoe, but there's an area where you can also hike around there. We've um, paddled with Vandy down there yeah, as well. Yeah, it's awesome. We're going whitewater canoeing down there. Um, and there was this bit where it was much calmer and we were kind of sitting on a little bank having lunch and stuff. And then you could actually see, I think I saw like three otters just playing oh. around in there together. Kind River of otters, swimming. yeah. River otters, yeah. Swimming around, playing around there. And that was, I really didn't expect it to be here. I guess I didn't know the ecology as well as I thought I did. And it surprised me. It was just awesome seeing them in the wild and interacting how they normally do. They're incredible. Super yeah. athletics, kind of slimy and, <laughs> and, and very uh, animated. Yeah. Very cute. Did you adorable. see one like floating on its back eating some fish? Mm. Oh, I don't know about eating fish, but yeah, they're just hanging out together, swimming around, peeking around, seeing what you do. Dive in, up and down. Yeah, exactly. Maybe smell your boat a little bit and have <laughs> fun. That sounds like the life. You know, we, we got a tweet from This Is Nashville from Stacey Irvin, who we had on as a guest earlier in the week. Uh, her quote is, she uses, I use a motorized wheelchair. My favorite trail is to Lake Hop. Lake Loop at Radnor Lake State Park. It's a beautiful escape from the city right in the middle of the city. I love using the park's free power chair because it's much more comfortable than my own. Now, John Michael, let me ask you, you know, how can we make hiking more accessible for more people? So there are some ADA accessible portions within Metro Park. Um, I didn't know about the the loaner program. That sounds, uh, that sounds awesome. There's a uh, accessible boardwalk at uh, Beeman. Uh, it goes along the ridge line, and there's crushed gravel. Um, 
really incredible uh, section at the end uh, next to a, a mature tree. So I guess from that perspective, uh, maybe more accessible trails uh, with certain grades and crushed gravel that certain types of uh, chairs or could could access. Now, you mentioned it earlier. I understand that you have this idea of potentially getting Metro to provide bus stops to our nature centers. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, that was one point that was brought up uh, before the show, and they were kind of asking about public transit options to certain nature centers or natural areas. Uh, there are a few bus routes that go close to nature centers or in Warner Park, Shelby Bottoms. Uh, Beeman and Bells are quite more rural. Um, with Shelby, there's one within a mile, and then with, with from in Warner, there's within two miles. Not just my idea. I know that's been floated, and, and Sophia was talking about it from a perspective of international students not having, um, or anyone visiting not having the means to get there or a public transit option. Um, I would be a fan. We talked about a dedicated route, uh, a seasonal route, a weekend route, some, some type of um, option to certain wild spaces uh, within the county would be a plus for all people. All right. Now, Sophia, as a hiking instructor, how do you approach students who are new to hiking? Yeah, well, well, you know, people come from all over the place to go to college and people come from all backgrounds of experience. Some people grew up in the West and like backpacked every day of their life. And then you've got some people who have never been camping before and are really excited for a new challenge. Um, I think the best thing about bringing um, backpacking in the outdoors to more people is just making it as accessible as possible because um, it is an activity that has kind of a high barrier of entry just because a lot of the gear costs a lot. And so having things such as like rental gear available for everyone, having really instruction, letting people know what they're getting into, mm-hmm. um, letting people know kind of um, what is expected of them, letting them know about the trail, what elevation they're going to do, what mileage they're going to do, what conditions, what the temperature is going to be like, what they should wear, you know. Um, it's a lot of things that... People who've been doing it for a long time take it for granted and you don't realize that you don't know that. And it's really, I think the biggest approach is just um, they're just excited to be there. They don't have any previous knowledge necessarily. And you just want to share this thing that you love so much with them. You know, you want to spread the joy and have them fall in love with the earth the same way that you did. So what's the most important thing for folks who are, what's the most important thing they should know if they want to get started? I think if someone was getting started in hiking, um, I think you should do some a bit of research yourself on what kind of trails you're looking for, what kind of um, grade, what class, how difficult, how far you want to go for it. Because um, hiking is brings so much joy to people, but in certain cases it can be kind of dangerous, especially if you're underprepared. Like some, there are things that you should definitely look at, like the weather. You should think about what layers you want to bring. You should think about what materials you want to bring. If you sweat a lot in cotton, that cotton doesn't dry off very easily and it's not really the ideal material that you want to be wearing. You want to make sure you have enough food. You want to make sure you've got extra food, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, to The biggest emphasis is just to be safe and let people know what you're doing and Um, Talk to people who have done it before and they can give you some guidance. Now, you mentioned class for trails. Can Mm. you you break that down a bit for us? Right, right. So um, if you think about a lot of the the classification for trails and how difficult they are, kind of the grade of the, like, how paved it is, how scrambly it is. Um, How steep it is. How steep it is. Exactly. Thank you. Um, There's a class system that goes from about one to five. Um, and you can see it used all over America. So one is generally 
um, more or less just kind of straight up walking um, on a flat surface, you think just about a pavement. And then class two starts to get maybe a bit steeper, a little bit more difficult. Class three counts as something if you would um, start to use your hands and start using scrambling, a lot of what you see in caving. Mm -hmm. um, class four, that's when you start wanting tactical ropes. So if you think about summiting um, big mountains and okay. things when you want really good gear. And then five just goes straight to vertical climbing. Wow. Yeah, so you can learn a lot about it and see what you're ready for, you know, okay. and what you want to start with. Oh, this is great. I learned a lot. That was Sophia Wang. She's a hiker and former outdoors experience instructor. She's joined by John Michael Cassidy, director of the Shelby Bottoms Nature Center. Thanks to you both for being here, and we'll see you all on the trail, all right? Thank you so much. I'll see you out there. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about trips and tips and tricks of, and a from a couple serious hiking enthusiasts, including one who hiked the entire Appalachian Trail. Do you have questions about hiking? What do you want to know? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about hiking in Middle Tennessee. We just heard about some great places to hike in our area and some of the things we'll learn when we hit the trail. Now I want to make sure that we know what to do when we get out there. What kind of gear do we really need? What are the potential dangers? How much water do you really need to bring? My next guests can help to answer those questions. Jess May Lancaster is an avid hiker and blogger who shares tips on her Instagram page at SheHikesTN. And Melanie Harsha is a super serious hiker who has through-hiked the Appalachian Trail, y'all. Jess, Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Yeah, excited to uh, talk about hiking today. It's going to be a lot of fun. This has been fun so far. You know, I, I would love to hear from both of you about why you're such avid hikers. Jess, when did the hiking bug first bite you? Um, so growing up, uh, we I grew up in northwest Indiana near Chicago. So we had the lake. We had things like that, but no mountains, obviously. Um, so every spring break, we would travel down to the Smoky Mountains in uh, East Tennessee and uh, it's kind of when I fell in love with hiking. You know, most of my family, uh, it was a little bit of me, come on, let's go, let's go hiking. This hmm. is fun. This is great. Um, and uh, ever since then, I've just loved Tennessee, loved hiking, and ended up moving moving here in 2009. And once I moved here, I just associated Tennessee with hiking and um, just continued in that love. And I've been seriously hiking for about a in Tennessee for about a decade now. So. so what was so amazing about that experience that you decided you wanted to keep doing it specifically when you got here? I think um, just the disconnectedness from everything. Um, you only have what's in front of you, the trail, the view, the, you know, your phone probably doesn't have service and mm -hmm. you can just feel um, connected to yourself and to the world in a different way. I guess. And, um, yeah, just feeling, feeling free. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the, that's the mode that Sophia was just sharing. Melanie, tell me, how about you? Like, when did you find that hiking was the thing for you? Yeah. Um, so in the early two thousands, uh, my mom started section hiking the Appalachian trail. And, um, when I kind of left what she calls my eye rolling phase, 
okay. and started actually getting interested in, in hiking. Um, I started joining her for section hikes on the Appalachian Trail, and I went to school in Chattanooga and then later on got my master's um, at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. So I um, started hiking more um, and joining her for those section hikes, and I realized that uh, I'm not as uh, patient as she is, so I decided to just do the whole thing in, in one go and uh, kind of move away from those section hikes and just realized this is what I want to do. So. All right, so you did the Appalachian Trail from Georgia all the way to Maine yes. in one go. That is amazing to me. Kudos to you. Thank you. What inspired you really to make that journey? <laughs> um, well, I had just uh, finished uh, getting my master's at Appalachian State in Appalachian Studies, and I just realized that I wanted to hike through the region that I just got uh, my master's in, in studying. and. Uh, I just fell in love with it, and you know, hiking from Georgia to Maine was the best six months of my life. And uh, got to Katahdin in, in Maine, and realized I'm going to go do this again. And so then, in 2018, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. You did that. How long did that take? Uh, that one took a, a little less time, even though it's more mileage. Um, it took uh, about five months, five months, four days. W- why the difference in time? Uh, well, I think. You know, the Appalachian Trail was my was my first trail, um, so it was you know slower in that way. I got injured on that trail, um, but the Appalachian Trail is a little bit harder. Um, it's, it has a lot more elevation gain, um, and I think when you once you have one through hike under your belt, um, you kind of are more mentally prepared and physically prepared. So um, that one took you know a month shorter. Now, give me an example of a typical day when you were hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, so you you wake up um, pretty early in the morning. Um, pack up your tent. Um, I, I'm kind of a get up and go kind of person. Some people might have uh, breakfast. I like to eat while I hike. Um, and I hike uh, like 10 miles before lunch and then have lunch and then hike 10 more miles and you get to a campsite uh, as a typical day. But honestly, there's no typical day on the AT. You know, you get stopped by a beautiful view or maybe you go into town and do a little less miles that day. So um, but it's it's a lot of walking. <laughs> Did anyone go with you? Um, my dog, Boo Radley, joined me for the first thousand miles on the AT, um, and then the second half, uh, continuing on solo without her. You, you mentioned you studied the Appalachians, you hiked them. What is it about those mountains that draws you in? The Appalachians are the oldest mountains in the world, and, and because of that, I think that they are filled with stories and culture that you just can't get anywhere else. Mm. Now, you're crossing through so many states and areas. Did the trip change the further north you traveled? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, starting in Georgia, I um, was nervous and was so scared I was, uh, you know, not going to make it. Um, and, you know, the landscape changes, but uh, you also get more comfortable. Uh, you get more uh, confident in yourself. Um, but then it's also a mental game. You know, once you're physically in shape, you have to wake up every morning and convince yourself, I got to walk every single day, even if it's snowing or raining or hot or my hip hurts, or whatever it is, and so you have to convince yourself to do that. Yeah, you got to push through. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, not every hike is going to be a six-month-long trek <laughs> through the Appalachian Trail. Jess, what are some of the things that you look for when you're trying to find an ideal hiking spot? Uh, for me, um, I love to have a little bit of diversity in the trail. You know, maybe you're walking along a stream, maybe you see a view or two, uh, maybe you walk through some nice cedar groves. We have a lot of those in Middle Tennessee. Um, a waterfall. There's. I liked. It, it's nice when there's um, a little bit of um, 
differences in the trail uh, keep you keep you motivated to keep walking. But um, as Melanie kind of said, a lot of a lot of hiking is you're just walking in the woods, mm. you know, and it's you don't necessarily have to have those special features in order for the hike to be a hike. You can find nature and find beauty really anywhere. So, um, but it is nice to have a pretty waterfall or a sweeping view. I, I bet. Yeah. You know, you've been at this for a while. What's the longest or most extreme hike you've taken? Um, I've the most I've done at one time is about forty miles. So just over a couple of days, three four days. Um, one of my good friends finished the Appalachian Trail, but she hiked it southbound from Maine to Georgia. So she finished in Georgia. So I've hiked the last portion of the Appalachian Trail um, in Georgia. Um, that was. Georgia, even though the elevations aren't as high as some other places, it's still, you're up, down, up, down. Um, it's a pretty challenging trail. And we did it in December as well. So it was mm. cold. We had clothes freezing overnight in one of the um, shelters. So that was fun to put on <laughs> frozen clothes the next morning. Wow. Um, but uh, it's type two fun. It's, it's, you look back on it and it's like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So um, there's a couple um, other like shorter trails, uh, in the area as well. There's like an, the Art Loeb Trail. It's in North Carolina. Um, it's about 30 miles. That's um, a great in-between trail if you're thinking like, I want to try a little something a little longer, a little more challenging. Um, What's one of your favorite local spots? So locally, I love, I, I live really close to Beeman Park. And so that is my, um, my little respite within the city. So I am hiking there when it's not 100 degrees out. I'm hiking there <laughs> frequently. Um, also, uh, just east of here, there's the Cumberland Plateau in the South Cumberland State Park, Savage Gulf State Park. Um, those are some great, you can get a lot of like what I was talking about, diversity in the trails, um, lots of different things to see and uh, disconnect. All right. So if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil e. Colonna. We're talking this hour all about hiking. So you know, Jess, when you're advising somebody who's either new or doesn't have a lot of experience hiking, what's the first thing you're telling them? Um, you don't have to have anything special to hike. If you have shoes that you can walk around the neighborhood in, you have shoes that you can hike in, for the most part. Um, you don't necessarily need a fancy backpack or a fancy water bottle. You can just put your shoes on. Put on some comfortable clothes, grab some water, and get out on a trail and hike. Um, there's no contract you have to sign to be a hiker. There's nothing um, super special about it in, in, in that it's a walking in the woods. And if you can walk um, in the woods, you can hike. So that would be on one of the grade one trails yes. that Sophia mentioned previously in the show. You're so, not going to tackle a grade three or four in your, your new ballots. Probably not. I mean, a lot of um, hiking shoes these days are do just look like sneakers, tennis shoes. Um, they have a little more tread on the bottom, um, a little more grip if it gets slippery, if it gets if you are going to be scrambling. But to me, honestly, most of the hikes in Middle Tennessee, you're probably going to be fine in in regular shoes. Um, shoes that are comfortable, shoes that fit your foot, obviously. But um, you know. You don't have to uh, spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on hiking gear um, for most of the trails around Tennessee. All right. Obviously, water is key. Yes. So, Melanie, how much water should people bring with them when they're hiking? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends on on the time of year and, and each individual. But 
Um, the average would be a liter an hour um, just to be safe. Um, again, that depends if it's if it's hot and if you're somebody who drinks a lot of water, but um, I always say a liter an hour. A liter an hour. Okay. Now, extra water is always a good thing, but what about knowing your way around? I don't think cell phones would be very helpful. Is that right? Uh, there are apps out there um, that you can download maps to use, um, you know, in airplane mode, um, and, and I definitely use those. There's there's a couple different apps out there, um, uh, far out guides, um, uh, all trails are very popular, but it is always good to have a paper map uh, and, and know how to use that paper map uh, is, is key. All right, so knowing how to read and use a map check. What about safety? What are you all worried about running into potentially, are you really worried about running into potentially dangerous wildlife? Jess? Um, I mean, it's it always runs through your head, right? You know, you hear a rustle and you're like, it's a bear. I know it's a bear. <laughs> but um, usually... Rule of thumb is wildlife most of the time want to stay away from you. If you're making, if you're walking, if you're making noise, they're going to stay out of your way. Um, but it is really important to be aware of your surroundings that if you do hear a, you know, you do hear a rustle or you do, you know, keeping your eyes in front of you, eyes on the trail. We do have um, snakes in Middle Tennessee. So, you know, just making sure that you're watching where you're stepping and you're not, you know, this is the wildlife's home first. Um, we get to also recreate in these areas, but. Um, to just be aware of your surroundings, um, both wildlife and people, you know, making sure that you feel um, safe, that you feel you're just, even though you want to disconnect, you also need to be aware of what's going on because you are out in the wilderness sometimes. So. Mel Melanie, I see you kind of shaking your head. You're like hiking alone for six months. I can imagine safety was something you probably constantly thought about. How did you adjust your hike to ensure your own personal safety? Yeah, I mean, um, I would agree with everything that Jess said and, and would um, say those same things. Um, and the most uh, scary animal out there to me personally is, is other people. Um, so I think just listening to that little voice in, inside of you, if, if it feels wrong, it's probably wrong. Um, and so surrounding um, yourself with people that you trust and if you feel uncomfortable um, to exit that situation um, and bring whatever makes you feel safe. And, and for me, that's myself and, and listening to that. Um, and, you know, when you go on a six-month through hike, um, it is important to make sure that you're um, listening to your surroundings, that you're prepared, that people know where you are. Um, and also, whenever I go out for long periods of time, I, I bring a, a GPS location tracker um, with an SOS system. And then um, Garmin makes one. Uh, Spot also makes one. So, uh, make sure to always bring that with me. Now, do you feel you had to be on extra high alert because you were a woman hiking alone? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, um, the Appalachian Trail is a relatively safe place, so is the Pacific Crest Trail and trails in general. But um, I honestly uh, feel more unsafe whenever I'm closer to a road. So um, I always try to camp deeper into the woods, uh, making sure I'm, I'm away from, from uh, the city. Uh, but yes, I definitely feel that, you know, being a, a woman alone, that I probably have my guard up a little bit more. Now, Jess, what do you, tell me, what, what are you mindful of when you're out there on the trail? I think similar things, um, even if you're not hiking for six months in, uh, in, a, in a row, you are um, just aware of, again, aware of what's going on around you, but also like having the tools, like a map, knowing where you're at relative to um, a stream or the sun, even thinking like, okay, it's right above me now. It's probably middle of the day. Just 
a general overall awareness and not just not just throwing yourself in without thinking about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, you know, you have to rely on yourself a lot of these times because you probably, you might not have service to call somebody why it's, why it is nice to have a GPS device if, if that's something mm-hmm. that you can afford or that you need. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you feel comfortable too, you know, people do bring like mace on, on hikes and things like that. But, um, I've always, trusted my intuition as well. Just kind of what Melanie was saying, just being aware. And if it feels weird or something feels a little off, don't be afraid to just turn around and be like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my car because this doesn't feel like a great situation. I think just listening to yourself is the biggest thing. Now, you know, we've only have a couple minutes left, but I want to get this in. You both are, have documented your hikes on social media. And Jess, you have this blog called She Hikes TN. Tell me, what's the online hiking community like here? Um, it's funny when I started this, um, you know, eight, 10 years ago, I didn't really think that I would like find people. I didn't like think about the community aspect of it. I was just like, Oh, some of a couple of my friends are asking about what they should hike. And I can't remember what I've hiked. I'm just going to write it down. Um, and especially over, um, the past couple of years, just, um, the Instagram community, you know, it's, it's wild. I've gone on hikes with people that I've met online. Um, and I've, you know, had that, had those experiences with people who, um, again, using my intuition, like, okay, this person seems, seems to be, um, a good person and we can go on a hike together. Um, but I've just, I've been able to, um, like build a community that I did not think would be possible. And I do hike alone a lot, but now I have so many more people in this area that I can go to mm. and it's, it's great. I, yeah, it's just something I didn't expect and happy that it happened that way. All right. Only a few seconds left real quick. What are some must have items in your hiking backpacks? Melanie. I never leave home without my pee rag. What's that? <laughs> if I have to go to the restroom in the woods, um, ah. I have a uh, pee rag uh, made by Kula Cloth, which is a woman owned company. Um, so I never, never leave home without that. Jess, what about you? Um, water, snacks. I also have a pee rag. It's great. Um, and uh, just uh, an, an attitude to just be open to the experience. Wonderful. That is master hiker Jess May Lancaster. She was joined by super hiker Melanie Harsha. I want to thank both of you for coming on to the show today. And thank you for giving us those tips. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Monday, in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our April episode all about Nashville's Native American roots. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harush and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Julie Height. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lekalona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody, and be good to each other.